Welcome back to At The Buzzer. I'm your host, Andrew Lobliner, joined alongside my co-hosts, Campbell Klein, Dean McCollum, and Tyler Fertel. Today's episode will be us discussing unpopular opinions around sports. But first, we have a quick update on Messi's Barcelona situation. Tyler? Okay, like Andrew said, Messi is in a messy Barcelona situation. So Lionel Messi, one of the best soccer players in the world, has told his club Barcelona he wants to leave them after nearly two decades with the Spanish Giants. And the club confirmed on Tuesday that the Argentinian sent a document expressing his desire to activate a release clause, which is also known as a buyout clause, that would end his contract and allow him to leave for free this summer. And what really makes this whole thing a mess is that Barcelona do not agree that the clause is still active because it had said to have expired on June 10th, which is 10 days after the original date of the Champions League final on May 30th. But Messi's lawyers are arguing that in the spirit of the deal and good faith, the clause is still active after the rescheduled final on August 23rd, which was delayed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Relating to Messi leaving, he has chosen Man City as his preferred destination. He's been trying to persuade Neymar, who now plays for PSG, to head to Manchester with him. And Manchester has already been crunching the numbers for a while to see if they will be able to sign Messi without breaking the financial fair play rules, which they've already broken. But Man City's Messi contract could include a New York City FC clause, and Messi has always wanted to go to the MLS at the end of his career, so that could make the contract more appealing if Barcelona lets him leave. But Messi has also been linked to other teams like Neymar's PSG, Inter Milan, and Manchester United. That is definitely a very detailed situation uh, that Messi's in right now. And now we have Campbell and Dean who are going to give us some information about the NBA team's boycotting playoff games in the wake of the shooting of Jacob Blake. So not only the NBA, but the whole sports world is being flipped upside down due to the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. So Dean, you want to tell us what's happening in the sports world? Yes, so today, Wednesday, August 26th, all three NBA games that were scheduled to play today have been delayed due to team boycotts over the recent police shooting in Wisconsin. So the Game 5s in the Lakers versus Trailblazers series, the Bucks versus Magic series, and the Rockets versus Thunder series have been delayed until further notice. So um, I'll open it up to you guys for a quick second. What do you think is going to happen with the games on Thursday, which is tomorrow for us? I'm pretty sure that they'll be postponed, but what do you guys think? So I think that there's no chance that they will play. I think that a main point of NBA players heading to this bubble was that they would want to make social change. And I think that after the shooting of Jacob Blake, they're, they're fed up. I mean, this is way too much. It's ridiculous. ML, the MLS, the MLB all postponed games. The WNBA postponed games. I think that what the NBA is doing has really sparked a bigger movement that is about to go off. And I think that it's much needed. This thing that keeps happening around the country, this Black Lives Matter movement needs to continue these police shootings and this all needs to stop. And it, if NBA players want to take time off and get out of the bubble to go protest and boycott, I'm all for it because this stuff needs to stop. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Tyler. I think the NBA kind of set a trend across all sports with this because now they were the the Bucks were the first to do this, and now you see the other two NBA games followed, and now MLB, MLS, and WNBA. But yeah, as you mentioned, Tyler, a lot of NBA players were worried that if they were if they went to the bubble, they still wouldn't be able to be socially active in protesting 
and being a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. So tonight, which is Wednesday, August 26th, the players will be holding a meeting to sort of discuss their demands for the future. And a lot of speculation has been going around, and Jason Tatum has even talked about leaving the bubble because they they believe this social injustice takes priority over them being entertainers to NBA fans, which is totally respectable. Also, games have been postponed in the MLB and WNBA, so it'll be interesting to see how long it could be until these games come back. But I know we're all sports fans. We're hoping for them back, but I think we can all agree that this social injustice is our priority. Anything else to add, guys? Yeah, I'm going to add something really quickly, and it's just about the impact of these NBA players. I think that as we saw before the bubble and when the Black Lives Matter movement was happening and it's still happening now, but when before the bubble, players like Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, John Wall, Bradley Beal, and so many more were going out and protesting. And you can just see how so many people admire them and so many people are impacted by what they say. And as we saw, George Hill and Sterling Brown released a message. And I just think that this is really the beginning of change. They are going to create change. They are, like I said before, they are going to spark something that is going to become bigger and it's going to create change. And I think that's really good basketball, baseball, soccer, it's not the priority right now. Saving lives, Black Lives Matter is the priority right now. Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said, Tyler. I mean, I think that the NBA has one of the biggest impacts on all players about the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, Adam Silver, he's a great commissioner. He's, I feel like he's always the first to take action and make a right step in the right direction in the NBA. I, I thought they're uh, making a right step in the right direction by having those uh, jersey slogans on the back of their jerseys and the players choosing what slogans they wanted to say and what they wanted to represent when they were playing on the court. So I do think the NBA is definitely making much more of an impact than many other major leagues, and I think the NBA is doing a great job with what they're doing right now. And yeah, I think it's only fitting that the Milwaukee Bucks were the first team to boycott because Kenosha in um, Wisconsin is only... It's, it's close to Milwaukee, and I think that where Jacob Blake was shot, and I think that, yeah, th- what, what the NBA is doing and now what the MLS, MLB is doing, really setting their priorities straight during this time is really important to our country. Yeah, it's definitely a very important, relevant thing to talk about now, but we're going to move towards our main segment now. So basically, we all came up with three unpopular opinions, and we're going to go through each person's, and we're going to talk about them and uh we're all going to say whether we agree or disagree and why. So we'll start with Dean first. So Dean, what is your first unpopular opinion? So starting off with our first unpopular sports opinion for the segment. So my first unpopular opinion about sports is that Luka Doncic will have a better career than Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I have some facts to sort of back my argument up because this is what I think. So Luka starting off is on a way better uh, trajectory to be a better player than Giannis. Luke is already putting up insane stats in his sophomore season already. Some people are considering him a top five player right now, and that's obviously ex- excluding Steph Curry and Kevin Durant because they're both injured. Giannis is, don't get me wrong, he's an amazing player, but Luka is a way more talented shooter and playmaker than Giannis. Obviously, if Luka was Giannis's height, do you know how crazily unstoppable Luka would be? Giannis is a great player. He's great in the post. He's great in the paint. He's a great defender. He's one of the best two-way defenders in the NBA. 
But Luka has broken so many insane records, such as breaking the record for the youngest player to have the most points in their first two postseason games, which he just achieved maybe a week ago. And I think that Luka is on an incredible trajectory to maybe be one of the best guards of all time. As like we've seen, he has so much talent, so much potential, and I can't wait to see what the Dallas Mavericks front office does in order to like help uh, build a better team around Luka since he's a budding star. So, Dean, I'm going to 100% agree with what you just said. So, um, earlier this week, me and Andrew were actually talking about this, and we were asking what players would you want to most build your up-and-coming team around, and we both agreed Luka was definitely the choice. And I think Giannis is probably a close second because, as you said, Giannis may be more athletic and more of a one-of-a-kind player than Luka is, but Luka is such a great scorer and playmaker And it's just going to be so much easier to put pieces around Luka than it is for Giannis because Giannis is just such a unique player. He's like a a once-in-a-generation player, and it's just hard to find the exact right pieces for him. But Luka is just such a great all-around player, and anyone will really fit with him. I Also, uh, one more thing I'd like to say about my opinion is that Luka is also five years younger than Giannis, and the potential is crazy with Luka. So that's why I'm definitely going with him. All right, so yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to keep this pretty brief, but I agree exactly with what Campbell said about that it's easier to find pieces against a guy like Luka. Also, Luka can probably have a longer NBA career than Giannis because he has more natural skill. He's more skillful at the game of basketball. Giannis is seven feet tall, and he can dunk from the free throw line, so a lot of his game is based off of athleticism. He hasn't really proved that he can knock down a jump shot consistently, so I think that Luka can have a longer NBA career than Giannis, so that definitely plays part into what you want to build a team around either one of those guys. And yeah, adding to what you all are saying, I think that Luka Doncic, in my perspective, has the chance to possibly have the most MVPs at the end of his career in NBA history. I know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has six now, and I think that he's a chance to maybe tie that or pass that. And I think that, yeah, that, I mean, he's a chance to be great for so long. And he honestly has the chance to be the one of the best basketball players in NBA history. All right, that is definitely a very good unpopular opinion. We all seem to agree on that, Dean. Now, we'll move on to my first unpopular opinion. So my unpopular opinion is that Zion Williamson is overrated and way overhyped, and I think that he will not have a better career than John Morant. First of all, I just think that he's kind of like overhyped, and I think that it's hard to call a player who's a rookie overrated, but the NBA kind of portrayed Zion to be like kind of the next LeBron James who's art, who's like going to be in the GOAT conversation. And Zion, he's shown signs of being maybe an all-star, but he hasn't really shown signs of being like a top five NBA player of all time because he's gotten top five NBA player of all time hype. And in terms of having a worse career than John Morant, I think John Morant's just in a better system. And Zion does have better players around him, but I think John Morant is a better leader. And I think he'll be able to lead the Grizzlies much farther then Zion will be able to lead the Pelicans. And also, Zion's injury problems will play a big part in his career. Uh, I, I semi-agree with you, Andrew. I don't think Zion is overrated. Like you said, rookies can't really be overrated. And Zion's shown some glimpses of being a superstar. But I do think his injuries are definitely going to get in the way of him uh, getting to his full potential, like everyone was projecting him to be like in the GO conversation with LeBron and MJ. Uh, and going to your uh, next part of your unpopular opinion where you think Jaw is going to have a better career. I actually don't see Jaw staying in Memphis his entire career because Memphis is sort of a small market team. So I don't think that Jaw is in the better system than Zion. Zion's surrounded by more talent 
He's already surrounded by uh, all-star Brandon Ingram and pretty good uh, point guard in the NBA in Lonzo Ball. But uh, I, I think that it's a toss-up between who's going to have the better career. But I see where you're uh, getting to that you're saying he's kind of overhyped. So in my opinion, I think it is just too soon to tell if uh, Zion is overrated and overhyped. I just think it's all going to depend on if Zion can stay injury-free. We all know Zion's build is really one of a kind, and if he can keep his body healthy and stay away from injuries, I think he, I think he could have a better career than John Morant, but I think if he gets hurt, obviously John Morant will have a better career. And now we're going to move to Campbell's first unpopular opinion. So Campbell, what is your unpopular opinion? So my first unpopular opinion is that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the second best player in NBA history, second to LeBron James. And uh, I have some reasoning behind this. Kareem, first, he's one of the most durable players in NBA history. He's only, he only suffered two, two injuries during his 20-year career, and they were both self-inflicted. One of them, he hit his hand on the basket stand, breaking his hand for two months. And then the second one, he punched someone in the face, breaking his hand for three months. So he only missed five months in his 20-year career. He's also, as we all know, an incredible scorer, number one in all-time scoring. He's also a great all-around player. He's a great passer, scorer, rebounder. He is the only player with 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and 5,000 assists. I just think that's really unmatched. And I don't think, I think a lot of you guys might think Jordan is number two, but I think that Kareem, whether you want to put LeBron or Jordan at one, I think that Kareem could definitely be the second best player of all time. He's definitely one of the most unguardable players of all time. Obviously, he talks about that. The most unstoppable shot, the sky hook. And yeah, he also leads the NBA of all time in total points. So I think that if you lead the NBA in total points, you definitely deserve to be one of the best players of all time. Um, Campbell, I'm going to ask you one question. I'm just a little confused on who you're comparing Kareem to based on like what the injury argument you said was like, he's only had two injuries in his career. Like who are, whose injuries are you comparing that to? Uh, I was more just saying he was a really durable player. And also I just found it a little comedic that both of his injuries were self-inflicted and one of them was punching someone in the face. So it, it wasn't a comparison. It was really just saying he was very durable throughout his long career. Yeah, it's hard to dispute what you're saying. I mean, Kareem played in the NBA for basically two decades, and he was always one of the best, maybe the best center every single year. So it's really hard to compete with what you're saying. All right, now we're going to move on. So Tyler, what is your first unpopular opinion? So this opinion is very unpopular. So my unpopular opinion is that the Atlanta Hawks will make the playoffs next year. So they have... Trey Young, Clint Capella, John Collins, Kevin Quater, they have the sixth pick in the NBA draft. If Trey Young can produce very well, Clint Capella can be the center that he used to be on the Rockets, and John Collins can be a top five power forward in the NBA. I think that the this Hawks team could get a six, seven, eight seed. I mean, in an Eastern Conference that isn't very good. I mean, the Orlando Magic are the eight seed. Granted, they did beat the Bucs in the first game of that of their playoff series. Net seven who are probably going to be really good next year, though, too. But I think that the Hawks can compete for a playoff seed next year. I'm going to have to disagree with you, Tyler. Even though their roster looks really good on paper, I just don't think that Trey Young, John Collins, and Clint Capella trio is really going to work out. Clint Capella the past two years has had a little bit of trouble staying healthy. That's pretty angering for me as a two-time Clint Capella fantasy owner. But I had to struggle those two years, and I don't. if, if he stays healthy next year, I guess there's – a chance, but 
I just don't, I don't love their team's depth and they don't have a lot coming off the bench for them. I agree with you, Tyler. I don't think it's really unpopular opinion. I think most people would agree with you since the Magic aren't like the strongest eight seed in the world. Um, it just depends really who the Atlanta Hawks draft this year. They could go for Isaac Okoro, maybe Denny of Diaz on the board. It, but if Isaac Okoro, who is their most likely prospect that they're going to draft, turns out as a very good player, they could definitely make a playoff push. I think it's really realistic for them to be maybe a 6 7 8 seed, like you said. So they, they would have Trey Young, Isaac Okoro, potentially DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. I think that's a playoff team. All right, now we've all gone through our first unpopular opinions. Now, Dean, your second unpopular opinion. Let's see if we agree or disagree on this one. So my second unpopular sports opinion for this segment is going to be that Paul George is not a top 15 player currently in the NBA right now. And my facts to back this up is that Bleacher Report came out with an article not too long ago saying that Paul George was the 14th best player in the NBA right now. And they ranked them. They had a description for every single player. They actually did a top 100. And Paul George happened to be number 14 right there. But I could name probably about 15 to maybe 20 players who, in my opinion, I think that Paul George is a worse player than those 15 players. So I can come up with a few. I don't really want to make it too long. I can't confidently say that he's a top 15 player because I know he just had a very good game versus Dallas, but Dallas didn't have anything to throw out Paul George that last game. I mean, Luke is an, a below average defender and Paul George, they had no Chris Stapps. They had no, no one on that team uh, yesterday. That was when the game was in. That's why he had so many points. So if they have Chris Stapps, they have a fully healthy team. Paul George isn't scoring. So that's why I don't think he's a top 15 player. He can't prove himself in the playoffs. I understand that Paul George is not, has not been the best in the playoffs. He's not been his normal self, but I'm going to have to disagree with you on this. I think that, you know, it does matter if someone plays good in the playoffs, and I think he's kind of finding his uh, finding his stroke now. But I, I don't think – I think it's too early to dismiss Paul George as not being a top 15 NBA player just because I think that he's proven so much over the course of his career battling with so many injuries. So I don't think he's uh, – I think he's still definitely a top 15 player, although his playoff woes, you could definitely make a case that he's not. So, Andrew, I'm going to throw a few players at you that I think are better than Paul George, and you're just going to tell me yes or no, are they better or not. So we're going to start off with Chris Paul, yes or no. No, I think Paul George at this point in his career is better than Chris Paul. At this point, I think Chris Paul in his prime is better, but at this point, Paul George. Next one is Jimmy Butler. That's really close. I I think I'm going to have to go with Jimmy Butler on that one. I'll go with Jimmy Butler on that one. Okay, Jason Tatum. Not yet. I think Jason Tatum will probably have a better career than Paul George, but right now, I think Paul George is better. I got one more for you, Carl Anthony Towns. Not yet. I th- I'd still take Paul George. All right. I could, I could see either way, but I think those few players are better than Paul George, in my opinion. I'm going to agree with you, Dean. I was actually, I saw what your unpopular opinion was, and I went and saw that article coincidentally. And I looked a little bit lower than where um, Paul George was ranked. And it had some players such as Pascal Siakam and Bradley Beal ranked below him. And I don't know about you guys, but I think Bradley Beal is a lot better than Paul George and definitely this year. So I'm going to agree with you, Dean. And also those players you listed to Andrew, I would say probably I'd say more than half of them I agreed were probably better than Paul George. All right. Now we'll move on to my uh, second unpopular opinion. So my second unpopular opinion is that nobody should be using load management in the NBA. And here's why I think that basically There are tons of uh, people in the world, tons of basketball players that work so hard day in, day out, 24-7 to try to even get a chance to play in the NBA. And I think that when you have NBA stars sitting out 
uh, like 25 games a year. I kind of think that's ridiculous just because, you know, you're there. Your job is to play basketball. And I think it's it's almost like just skipping work because you're like, quote unquote, tired or maybe you're just sleepy. I just don't understand load management. Like, I understand for the players, like, if you're really injured, you shouldn't be playing. But I don't think you should be resting for no reason. I think if you can play, then you should play. And I think that load management is not somewhere where the NBA should be heading towards. Um, I'm going to partially agree with you, Andrea. So I think in terms of players such as, I think when we all hear the terms load management, I personally think of Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think players should be able to sit out that often. But I think if a player is playing 35-plus minutes carrying their team and they need three to eight games of a break during the season, I think that's totally okay. But however, in terms of like an entertainment standpoint, I think they should have to alert their like ticket buyers because like I don't know if you guys have ever showed up to an NBA game and then you realize the two best players on someone's team isn't playing. Like for example, in LA, I went to I went to a Laker game and LeBron decided to sit out. I went to I was in uh, New Orleans and I went to a Rockets game and Russell Westbrook, Clint Capella, and uh, James Harden all decided to sit out. So. It sort of sucks from like a fan standpoint. So I'm I'm agree with you on both of those. But I think a few games is okay. Now I was gonna say exactly what Campbell just said. Um I think it's not very good from the uh from the fan standpoint, the entertainment standpoint, because like you it's always so not good when you just show up to a game just to see one of your favorite players say if you're like going to a Lakers game and LeBron James is just sitting on the bench in his suit. No one wants that to happen. All right, so now we will move on to uh, Campbell's second unpopular opinion. Campbell? So my second unpopular opinion is John Havlicek is the most underrated NBA superstar of all time. For those of you who don't know, Havlicek played for the Celtics. He's an eight-time NBA champion, really great all-around player, averaged upwards of 20 points per game. And I think a lot of people, when they think of John Havlicek, just thinks of Bill Russell's like assistant. But that's actually totally false. Havlicek won two NBA champions without Russell. And he should have won a third in 1973. I'm sorry, Andrew, the Knicks won that year, but they should not have won that year. And I just think he doesn't get the credit he deserved being the best player on two championship winning teams and the second best player on six others. So if if you guys disagree, who do you think is the most underrated player of all time? I agree with you that John Havlicek is extremely underrated, but I'm going to take a similar route and take a similar answer. I'm going to go with Scottie Pippen. Um, Obviously, John Havlicek wasn't a sidekick, but he was the second option on the Bill Russell teams on most of them. And Scottie Pippen was obviously the second option on Michael Jordan's Bulls teams. But Scottie Pippen, in my opinion, he's a top 40 NBA player of all time. And I think he's overlooked for his talent because he's sort of in the shadow of Michael Jordan. Jordan has never been out of the first round of the NBA playoffs without Scottie Pippen. That just shows how impactful he is on the court. And that just shows how good of a second option he is. And it shows how underrated and unappreciated he is. Yeah, Dean, you definitely make a good point with the Scottie Pippen argument. Andrew, do you have anything to say? Yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about John Havlicek, but another player I think is really uh, underrated is Dominique Wilkins. Most people just think of him as a dunk contest champion. Obviously, he was uh, an insane dunker, but he was also a really good NBA player, NBA All-Star, so I think he gets forgotten a lot. All right, now we're going back to Dean for his third and final unpopular opinion. So, Dean, what is it going to be? So my last unpopular sports opinion is that Hassan Whiteside is a one-season wonder, and here's why I think that. So first, I'm going to start off with uh, Hassan's uh, season he had just this past season, so the 2019 to 2020 season. So Whiteside's stats were inflated because of the absence of use of Nurkic, 
And Nurkic is usually the starting center for the Blazers, but obviously got injured, which is why the Blazers had to trade for Hassan because they didn't really have a viable center. So that's why Hassan's stats were really good this season. But many many people think that Hassan Whiteside actually broke out this season and it was his best season. But actually, his best season statistically was in Miami from the 2016-2017 season where he averaged career high in points and actually led the league in rebounding. So, Andrew, I know you're a Hassan Whiteside stan and you had him on your fantasy team this past season, but Hassan Whiteside actually... Doesn't take many distant shots, which is why I think he's a little bit uh, hes a little bit of a one-season wonder because he can't really shoot on the perimeter, and his stats are inflated. I definitely agree with you by, in the fact that his stats are inflated because Yusuf Nurkic did not play. And I think Yusuf Nurkic is probably a top you know, six, seven center, maybe even top five center in the league. But I think that on, most, on the majority of NBA teams, Hassan Whiteside would be a starting center. I think Hassan Whiteside... I think if he was on another team, he would still put up these same numbers. But if he stays on Portland behind Nurkic, then yes, his stats won't be the same because with Nurkic fully healthy, obviously it's not going to be, his stats will not be the same. But I think that if Hassan Whiteside went to another team, he, that he, that doesn't have a top five center, he, his stats would be the same. Yeah. So I'm pretty much repeating what Andrew just said, but as I'm going to go back to what Dean was saying before that Hassan Whiteside only had his breakout year because he got more time because Yusuf Nurkic was on the was hurt. But pretty much every single NBA player needs minutes in order to perform. So I don't see how that can be an argument. So uh, he might not find success and the minutes he needs for success in Portland with the return of Yusuf Nurkic. But someone this offseason is going to be looking for a rim-running defender. And Whiteside is going to get the money. And if this team doesn't already have a center, he's going to get the minutes to perform. And as you were saying about his, I think you said, 16-17 season, um, he was getting the most minutes that year, so that's also why he performed the best that year. Sounds like you did a little researching on my unpopular opinions, Campbell. Also, I wanted to say that the reason I think this is an unpopular opinion is because I think that a team will make a mistake in giving Hassan Whiteside a lot of money this uh, upcoming season. That is definitely a good point, Dean. Now we're going to move on to my third unpopular opinion. So people say that uh, I only like this player because he went to Michigan, but he is really defying the odds in the NBA currently. So I, so for my third unpopular opinion, I think that Duncan Robinson is the best three-point shooter in the NBA. Now, some people may say, no, Steph is the best three-point shooter in the NBA. No, Damian Lillard, or no, maybe Klay Thompson. But I'm talking about someone that's literally just put out on the floor to knock down threes and hit threes, okay? So Steph and Clay and Dean, they're more of uh, kind of ball handlers. Duncan Robinson is just a three-point specialist, and he's the best in the league. He had the highest three-point percentage out of anyone this season, and he also had the third most attempts, only behind Damian Lillard and James Harden, who both take an absurd amount of shots per game. And the numbers, the numbers don't lie. So if you look at the numbers, Duncan Robinson is clearly the best three-point shooter. And I think his story is also uh, really cool. And he's also playing 25 minutes starting on average on a Miami Heat team that has just swept the Pacers and is looking really good in the playoffs. And Duncan Robinson has hit so many big threes. He erupted for seven threes, tying the Heat playoff record the other day. And he's a clutch shooter, too. Um, he hit two game-winning threes this season. So I think that in terms of just a three-point specialist, Duncan Robinson is the best there is. Uh, Campbell, you have something to say about this? Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Andrew. 
when you said I can't have um, Damian Lillard, James Harden, Steph Curry in that conversation, that's a little bit ridiculous. You're pretty much cutting it down to like, who is the best three-point shooter of the below average players in the NBA? Like, that's not really a good discussion. And um, so I'm just sort of going to disregard that. And also, you said that he was the best three-point shooter in the NBA because he had a pretty cool story, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is just a little bit stupid. So um, my, my argument for why Duncan is not the best three-point shooter in the NBA is because he's, he's getting so many open looks per game. And as you were saying, you said he's purely just a three-point shooter. So he's getting so many open looks just sitting in the corner while Jimmy Butler is drawing a double team and he's just knocking down open three-pointers. However, other three-point shooters such as Steph Curry, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, and James Harden are putting up a lot more contested shots than Duncan Robinson is because these guys are the main ball handlers on their teams and they're putting up shots late in the shot clock. Duncan is not putting up shots with like five seconds left on the shot clock. So he's getting all these open looks while while those other guys I named just before are taking a lot of contested looks. So I think Duncan is definitely up there. I'll give that to you, Andrew, but I don't think he's top five three-point shooting in the league. Okay, Cam, well, you definitely bring up some good points, but I'd just like to say, Duncan being a player who can only shoot threes, that's pretty much the only thing he's out there to do. People guard him. They only guard him against the threes. They'll let him drive. They'll let him put the ball on the floor. They face guard him. So it's harder for Duncan Robinson to uh, get three-pointers because he's being chased and being face-guarded the whole game. So I think that, I mean, that point you bring up, it's valid, but also he's being guarded in a much different way than those other players. And those guys are obviously better NBA players, but Duncan Robinson is just purely the best straight-up just shooter. He's just the best shooter. Dean, what do you have to say? Um, Andrew, I'm totally disagreeing on what you just said. You're saying that people are guarding Duncan Robinson on the three more than people are guarding Steph Curry and James Harden, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, all those guys. I don't think Duncan Robinson is uh, just bringing the ball up the court like people like Steph, James Harden, Dane, and just pulling up like those people. They're taking contested threes. Well, like Campbell said, Jimmy Butler's driving in, making a double team and creating a shot for Duncan Robinson. Like, I think that's what Duncan Robinson does more than just Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Like, Steph Curry's running around screens. He He's making the plays. He's a facilitator for the entire Warriors team, while Duncan Robinson is literally just camping in the corner like a little bush camper and pulling up from three and making them. I mean, I'll give it to him. He's very good at knocking down his shots. But Duncan Robinson isn't better than Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and all those guys. I think that you're kind of uh, missing the little exact question here. It's who's the best shooter, not the best overall player. Obviously, Steph, Clay, Dame Harden, they're all the better players, but they're the better players because they can do more. The defense, don't they don't just have to guard the three. They have to guard the drive, the pick and roll, the drive and kick. Duncan, all he does is shoot. So that they only guard the three-pointer for him. So, so it's the, the toughest thing for him to do is to shoot threes. Steph Curry, yeah, they're going to close out on him, but they have to worry about him driving. He's Steph Curry is such an underrated finisher. We all know Dame's a great finisher. Harden averages 20 free throws a game. So it's not like they're only worrying about threes. But since Duncan Robinson only shoots threes, they have to, they have to only worry about guarding him. So that makes it tough. Now Tyler is going to do his unpopular opinion. So Tyler, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to do my second and third unpopular opinions right now. So my second unpopular opinion is Kyler Murray will finish a top five NFL QB this season. Overall, with yards, touchdowns, not only statistics, but like reasonably like opinions. And um, uh, what do you guys think about this? 
I think that uh, it is definitely possible he will be a top five QB this season. I, I agree with that. Remember, he has the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. He's Larry Fitzgerald. He is Christian Kirk. I mean, he's Kenyon Drake in his backfield for a full year now, and hopefully for a full year. And he's a good passing back too. So, uh, But I think what is really going to help, especially is the addition of DeAndre Hopkins into this offense. Because he catches everything. He's a top three wide receiver in the NFL. So very good addition for the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going to keep this short. I don't know the most about the NFL. All I know is Kyler Murray won Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. I know the Cardinals have a lot of offensive threats, so I think there's definitely a possibility for him to be a top-five quarterback. Keep it short as well. I think Kyler Murray can definitely finish as a top-five quarterback next season. All right, now we're going to do Tyler's third and final unpopular opinion. So, Tyler, go ahead. Tell us your final unpopular opinion. So, my third and final unpopular opinion is that the San Diego Padres, also known now as Slam Diego, will win a World Series in the next five years. They have Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. They have good pitchers in Chris Paddock and a good prospect in Mackenzie Gore. Um, they have Jake Cronenworth, good uh, good bullpen. I think that it's uh, they have a really good lineup and a really good future. And I think that they really do have a chance to uh, win a World Series in the next five years. I think the Padres winning a World Series in the next five years is definitely very possible, especially just because they have Fernando Tatis, who's probably already playing like a top five MLB player, but for the next five to even 10 years, it's going to be a top five MLB player. However, I I just don't know if the Padres um, are going to be able to win a World Series within the next five years. And the one reason I think they won't win is because of the Dodgers, just simply. I think that with the Dodgers team right now, they're set for the future with Mookie Betts signed for 10 years. Turner is on a good extension. Steger is on an extension. Muncie. I mean, they, they the Dodgers just have so many guys. They have young pitchers like Dustin May and Walker Bueller, who Walker Bueller is probably already a Cy Young candidate this year. And Dustin May is also a really good pitcher. So I just feel like that the Padres are going to be one of the best teams in the NL for the next five years. I just don't know that they will be able to beat the Dodgers and get over uh, that hump. I know I don't know a lot about baseball. You might know that if you've seen our more recent podcast, but I agree with Andrew just bit by looking at the standings. I see the Dodgers are in first place in the NL West and the Padres are in a sort of close second. But Tyler, you're naming all these great players on the Padres. I'm sure they're pretty good. I mean, I don't really follow the Padres, but right now they're not as good as the Dodgers. It looks like right now. And also it, there might be a little bias right there because you are a diehard San Diego fan. Maybe the only diehard San Diego sports fan, but there might be a little bias there. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'm a Dodger fan as well or not as well. I'm the only Dodger fan here. So after the Dodgers go back to back to back to back, maybe the Padres will have a little chance in that fifth year. Um, but all jokes aside, I want to see a, uh, Padres young star Fernando Tatis get a little more postseason experience I don't think I don't think they'll win the World Series in the next two to three years but I think if he gets some experience in the next two to three years they can definitely make a run for it in four to five years all right now we're going to move on to our last unpopular opinion of the day we have Campbell here with the last unpopular opinion of the episode Campbell take us home okay so my last unpopular opinion might not be super unpopular, but I think there could be a little bit of disagreement. So I think that Kevin Durant is the greatest offensive player in NBA history. Durant is, in my opinion, the greatest offensive player of all time due to his scoring ability. Durant can literally get a shot from anywhere on the court. 
He's seven feet tall. He's quick. He's tall. He's shifty. There's nothing he can't do on the offensive end. He can finish at the bucket. He can shoot the three ball right over you. Like, who, who's, a better, who's a better offensive player? I, don't, I can't think of one. I definitely think that that's a really good point. I think Kevin Durant's skill set is just unmatched by anyone who's ever played the game. He's seven feet tall, and he can do everything that a guard can. So I think he probably has the best, one of the best offensive skill sets of all time. And in terms of making shots, I mean, he can make shots over anyone. I mean, when you could compare him to like someone like Michael Jordan, who people think is the or Kareem, who think is the greatest scorer of all time, uh, they all have their thing. You know, Jordan has his crazy athleticism. Uh, Kareem has his hook shot, and I think Kevin Durant just has his guard skills combined with his height. So I don't know if you if I can say that he's the best scorer, but he's definitely for sure up there. I agree with Andrew. I mean, Kevin Durant's quick first step or his hesitation is just totally lethal making him able to score over any single person, no matter how good of a defender you are. I definitely consider him a top three scorer of all time, uh, along with Michael Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like Andrew said. We definitely had some very interesting, unpopular opinions. Before we cap off this episode, we will go to our shot clock segment. The shot clock question for today is, who is the most underrated player in the NBA currently? So we'll start with Dean on this one. And as you, you guys know the drill, 24 seconds will be on the clock. I will be timing Dean. All right, Dean, ready and begin. So I'm going to go with Bradley Beal as my most underrated player in the NBA. Bradley Beal is one of the best scorers in the NBA. He's one of the best scorers I've seen, ex- excluding Kevin Durant and James Harden. I think he's the third best scorer in the league. He averaged like 30 points per game. He isn't that much of a defender, but I don't even know how the NBA didn't even consider him as an all-star as he didn't make this past year's all-star team. And I think he could definitely go down as one of the all-time scoring greats as he's an amazing scorer. He can shoot the three, everything. That's why I think he's the most underrated player. All right, yes, Bradley Beal is definitely underrated. He should have definitely been on the all-star team. All right, Campbell, you are next. I got 24 seconds ringing on the clock. Ready, Campbell? Begin. So I personally think Nikola Vucevic is the most underrated player in the NBA. Vucevic puts up an easy 20-10 and 10 every single night. He's one of the league's best centers, and he's been carrying the magic this year. Vucevic is in my opinion, the most underrated center in the whole league, most underappreciated, everything. And I just think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Definitely a good point there by Campbell. All right, Tyler, 24 seconds is on the clock. Ready? Begin. Okay, so for me, I'm going to go with Jalen Brown, um, Boston Celtics shooting guard. He averaged 20 points this season along with six rebounds and two assists. I... 20 points is a lot for a third, the third best player on an NBA team. And I think that he's underappreciated and he's an all-star to come. He's overshadowed by other two players on his team. And I think that he's a really good player. Definitely a very good point there. Okay, so uh, Dean will be timing me now for uh, 24 seconds. Dean, I'm ready when you are. Okay, Andrew, you have 24 seconds to tell us who the most underrated player in the NBA is right now, starting now. Okay, I think Jamal Murray is the most underrated player in the NBA. I think that he's going to be an all-star within maybe next year, but within the next couple of years. I mean, if you look at what he's doing in the playoffs right now, uh, scoring uh, back-to-back 50-point games, it's just unbelievable. Um, Jamal Murray, he's I think he is, him and Jokic are a, such a dynamic duo, and I think that he's definitely going to be a multi-time all-star in years to come. Definitely a good point. I actually had Jamal Murray on my fantasy team. He's very nice for me. So, yeah, I really like his game too. 
And that's all we have for you for today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ATBuzzerPodcast and the platform you're listening on today. Along with Campbell Klein, Dean McCollum, and Tyler Fertel, I'm Andrew Lubliner, signing off for now. See you next week.